Welcome to Health System CIO's interview with Eric Decker, Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer with Intermountain Healthcare. I'm Anthony Guerra, Founder and Editor-in-Chief. Eric, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Anthony. All right, Eric, a little bit about your organization and role, if you want to start off with that. Sure. Intermountain Health is an integrated delivery network uh, located in the Mountain West region. So we're primarily based in Utah, Nevada, Colorado, Idaho, and some other states uh, minimally uh, you know, around that area. Uh, an integrated delivery network means that we've got both the health plan and the provider side, the healthcare delivery services. So we cover about a million lives under our health plan and uh, quite a bit of lives, you know, uh, on the delivery side of care. All right. Very good. And I know your main job is just one of your the things you do. So if you want to briefly <laughs> list um, the most important um, industry policy related roles that you're, you've taken on. Yeah, so I, uh, I I call it my second job, uh, mm -hmm. ironically, uh, or or but you know no payment, there's no no right uh, no remuneration that happens there. But now I serve as the chairman of the cyber working group of the health sector council, and what that is is a critical infrastructure policy advisory committee. It's uh, what we call CPAC. Uh, there are 16 critical infrastructure that are outlined in the National Defense and Authorization Act. Uh, originally came through some executive orders under the Obama era, and there, so those 16 critical infrastructure. Some examples are finance, oil, oil and gas, water, transportation, healthcare, agriculture, uh, and so forth. And these are. Uh, infrastructures and organizations that actually make up our nation's critical infrastructure, but are generally run by private industry. And so because of that, there's a, there's a national interest in making sure that those are protected from all hazards, cyber being one of those hazards. <clears throat> so the, um, the cyber working group is, you have about 425 organizations that are members of that, about a thousand people inside uh, representing those 425 organizations. And if you are a critical infrastructure owner and operator and you're in healthcare, you should absolutely be participating in this group. Yeah, we, we have, we produced 27 publications over the last six years. Uh, three of them are joint release products with health and human services. This is where Hiccup came from. Uh, and if you've heard of 405D, that's one of the task groups inside the cyber working group. Hiccup was the inaugural product of that, which is cyber hygiene. That's been embedded in law. Another example, uh, it amended high tech of HIPAA and high tech and instructed OCR to consider the adoption of hygiene, these of Hiccup essentially uh, during any enforcement action. That, that's a, a, an, an avenue of progress on how the industry and the government have come together to try to uh, bolster up our resiliency you know, across the, across the industry. So we, we do a lot of work with HHS. We do a lot of work with CISA, uh, as well as the Office of the National Cybersecurity Director on the, in the White House and the National Security Council in the White House. All right. Very good. So sort of the big kind of development on the policy front um, in December, HHS released its introductory strategy for healthcare sector cybersecurity. They've got four points in there. Establish voluntary cybersecurity performance goals, provide resources to incentivize and implement the practices, 
implement an HHS-wide strategy to support greater enforcement and accountability and expand and mature the one-stop shop uh, within HHS. So there's there's things in there that they're going to work on and what they're going to come out with are, you know, and we love acronyms, right? Healthcare and public health sector, specific cyber performance goals, HPHCPGs. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about high need versus essential and for the essential, or I'm sorry, high need organizations will get help with the essential requirements, mm-hmm. but perhaps not the enhanced requirements. Okay. Mm-hmm. It all kind of makes sense. Um, now trying to sort of give the industry some idea what's happening. It should jive with CISA's cross sector CPGs, um, and hiccup. Yes. which you mentioned. So we're they're saying, here's where we're going. We're going to be working on this stuff. We're going to take input, but don't be too scared because there's stuff out there that this is going to jive with. So you're not going to get hit out of left wheel yeah. with some crazy stuff. That's right. So that's that's my reading of it. You tell me if, if I'm on the right track. That's that's exactly correct. And and honestly, the it's the relationship and the partnership of the cyber working group and the, the relationships and partnerships that we've had with our federal partners that has gotten us there. So they, you know, the, the federal government has recognized the need to, uh, that the hospitals in particular are, are getting beat, you know, through ransomware attacks and other disruptive attacks and, and more needs to happen. Um, you know, we have, we have developed Hiccup. We developed Hiccup and at the end of 2018 was when that was published and Hiccup is hygiene. It contemplates five threats, 10 practices to mitigate those five threats. Uh, and it's a how-to guide for the small, medium, and large size organizations. And we actually broke it up in uh, a playbook for each of those three designations because everybody's a little different. How you handle cyber for a small critical access hospital is very different for a large integrated delivery network like Intermountain. Um, so Hiccup, think of Hiccup as the how. You know, It's your guide to, to achieving. Uh, the CPGs, uh, the Cybersecurity Performance Goals, which originally came out from CISA for all 16 critical infrastructure, that was, I believe, last year when they released that, um, those are more outcome-driven statements. So what we've done uh, working with HHS and as HHS has been developing the CPGs is we took some of the outcomes associated to the CPGs and said, this is what we want to achieve. Hiccup is the, the path to doing it. And so that's how those two things come together. Uh, you'll see very prominently that it it, dis, uh, it it shows in that way. So the good news is, is you, if you've done hiccup, you've actually done the CPGs, generally speaking. Um, you know, there'll, there'll be some evaluations that you're going to need to do. Uh, it is very specific and very, you know, targeted to some very essential things. Uh, but I think you're, you're, it's not going to be uh, out of left field kind mm. of um you know, publication that comes up and and now hopefully you're not going to think, oh, oh, geez, now I got a whole bunch of other stuff to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. It really, I mean, if, if you haven't done these things, then this is really giving you a pathway for exactly what you need to be focused on minimally uh, to to prevent against some and and respond to some of these, you know, disruptive attacks that are that are hitting us. So it makes me think of um, it's not going to be like some of the inter- interoperability stuff they came out with. They they came out with some stuff a little while ago about 
you had to be able to respond to these requests from anywhere for patient information. Mm-hmm. Um, and that everyone was like, whoa, 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 that's a lot of work. Like we got a yeah. lot of stuff to do. It was a little bit of panic and but a lot of things had to happen. My guess, and you tell me if I'm wrong, is that if you have a CISO, if you even have someone with that title and you, they've been mm-hmm. working towards a framework and you've got cyber insurance, which means you must, must've jumped some hurdles, when this stuff comes out, I'm guessing probably almost a hundred percent you're going to be like doing that, doing that, doing that. Already good. Depending on who, depending on your organization and what your level of capability is, you you certainly will know exactly what those things are. Mm-hmm. Um, you will probably have already. You brought up cyber insurance. You probably will have already discussed it with your underwriters. You know, we looked at those. Uh, you know, those essential, those mandatory things that the cyber insurance underwriters are looking for as well and and uh, conceptualize that in the same mm-hmm. kind of model uh, and, and so forth. So now it's it's all it, it, it hopefully is incredibly aligned that I, I think that there's I, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is we did a, a landscape analysis last year where we studied cybersecurity capability in hospitals. That was actually one of the major inputs into the CPGs. And there's a lot of things that I think people assume that are happening and they're actually not in, in its totality. You know, so like an example is um, I'm trying to remember the exact stats, but it was something along the lines of either 84 or 94 or 92% of organizations have put multi-factor authentication on email, uh, on the email portal. So that sounds like a good number, except for the fact that phishing and credential attack is the number one social engineering. Those are the that's the number one attack that hits organizations. So if you don't have multi-factor authentication on your email system, then all and all you have is a password protecting your account, it's going to get hit and people are going to use that account to impersonate you and use and do more attacks. It could be business email compromise attacks, it could be, you know, trying to push uh, to get to more privileged uh, access, it could be deploying malware. I mean, it can be used for all different types of things. And that delta of from the if either it was 84, 92% to 100%, that actually represents a significant number of hospitals in our United States that haven't done that. And so though that's a good example of some very, very basic things that just have to be in place in, in this day and age in order for you to protect against the kind of attack that that's happening. And those are not sophisticated attacks. This is actually very easy to conduct that kind of attack. Uh, so this is an interesting question. At least it occurred to me. It was interesting on the timing of this, right? So we have, we think that if you're fairly advanced, you've been working on cybersecurity, you're going to be okay. But that's not what this whole thing is targeted towards. This whole thing is targeted towards the people that are, or the organizations that are weak or non-existent on cybersecurity. We want to get everybody up to a certain minimum level. That's Mm -hmm. the goal. We use the term of a high-need organization. So, you know, we've heard a lot about rural organizations that, hey, we don't have Mm -hmm. the staff, we don't have the money, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got this conundrum, which is why we're talking about financial incentives, so I'm wondering about this from a timing point of view. If I am a high need organization, I don't have any money. I'm a rural or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I say, yeah, I'd love to do this stuff. We don't have any resources. So, okay, you're going to require us to do this stuff. You're going to give us some money. There's a timing element to here. Now, for example, what I'm saying is somebody could say, well, I can't skate to the puck. I can't. I don't have the money to lay out 
And right. if somehow I did have the money to lay out, would I get paid back? Could that be part of the dynamic? Or is it better for me to wait till this stuff comes out? And I assume the deadlines for high-need organizations will have to jive with the timing of availability to the resources. You see what I'm saying? So what's yeah. your advice for someone at a high-need organization in terms of managing this so they don't get themselves into trouble and not laying out money that they might not get back? So a couple of couple of points. The first point is when the when the CPGs are released uh, to note that these are voluntary CPGs. So this what what comes out in that first bullet point of that concept paper is not a mandatory enforcement uh, requirement. Uh, that's the third bullet point of what HHS is working on. Uh, the second thing I'll say is when we were conducting the landscape analysis, we interviewed about 20, 25 different hospital systems, including the high need organizations. And when we asked them the questions about like, like help us understand the resource constraints and the challenges that you face, uh, to a T, every single one of them said, just tell us what to do. Because part of the problem, and this is part of the problem in cybersecurity, is cybersecurity is so big. And it, it is, and there's a lot of noise, especially there's a lot of vendors in this space, a lot of people trying to get your attention, talking about this is the most important thing to do. If you don't have sophisticated cybersecurity professionals, it's hard to understand what thing is actually the most important thing, you know, to hit first. And there has been, even with, you know, Hiccup and things like that, that we produced, Hiccup is still pretty big. You know, it's 10 practices. It, it, it gets in to some, you know, some depth. And it, but it doesn't prescribe, um, you know, you do these things and then these things and then these things. The CPGs are going to be more clear and more uh, tactical, if you want to think about it that way. It's it's very directional. And so I think you're going to get uh, the, the, the higher need organizations will get the gift of focus on this. Uh, you know, one of the considerations that was built into the CPGs was cost. Like, do these things, are these things going to come with a uh, high cost in order to get to the essentials? And, you know, we did not want to include things that just were filled with high cost. Um, so, you know, impact to threat mitigation, like that was all part of the, the calculus that was that was used. Um, so there are not to say that there's not cost inside the CPGs. There are some things that are going to cost, but there's also plenty of things in the CPGs that actually is just people time, you know, uh, to to work on instead of, you know, hard license cost or things along those lines. Um, so I think that will help. Um, all of that said, you know, absolutely, the the high need organizations uh, need help. You know, mm -hmm. and so we, uh, from industry association side, not uh, well through multiple angles through the uh, industry associations. You know, when I go up to the hill and I talk to uh, the both Senate and and House side of the House, I, I bring this up. I, I bring up you know different types of options that could be potentially contemplated. Uh, we've, we've uh, within the cyber working group, we have provided the federal government a policy recommendations paper that talks about some of the models that could be used for like a reimbursement strategy or a granting strategy or something along those lines. Um, I think it's actually important for folks to know there are there are grants in place today that you could apply for that you can, that you can get some cyber help with. Uh, FEMA actually has... Uh, a grant active today that's connected to some networking um, dollars, and you can use that if you apply for it uh, for some cyber assistance there. So that's that's an option. Um, 
all of that said, you know, there still is more. This is like what I just described is not enough, you know, to to bolster up an entire industry. So HHS is working with Congress right now, trying to um, try to figure out some new appropriations that could be applied into this space. I don't have any answers for you uh, on is that successful? Is that not successful? You know, our current you you know our Congress today. We continue to push the ball down the road on on the budget, you know, and so mm-hmm. it's it's hard to get stuff in right now. Um, but the the need is understood, and you know we are having these discussions. So when this came out in December, um, you posted some stuff about this to try and put a, co- a little color around it. There was a little sure. bit of pushback from some entities. I guess any time we talk about, and you said the first iteration will be voluntary. But right. I guess the anticipation is that at some point some of these things will become mm-hmm. mandatory. There's even, you know, there's language right in the four points of enforcement and accountability. Mm-hmm. That scares some people. That scared some people. And yep. you posted um, sort of a, your point of view, which is to me, and you can you can put your color on it, was, hey, this has to be done. Like, yeah. I, this just has to be done. So I wonder if you want to just talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So first of all, I mean, the the thing that as as a collective cyber working group, you know, we uh, we understand the 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 balance between voluntary practices and mandates, and we understand the challenges that are um, those who have and those who do not have. Uh, so we do believe that there needs to be incentives in place to assist those who don't have in order to get to mandates. But we also believe. Uh, and, and frankly, when again, when we were talking and doing these interviews and the landscape analysis and so forth, every one of them, when we asked the question, would you have, would you support a mandate if a mandate was was driven? They said, as long as there's funding for this, absolutely, because it offers clarity on exactly what needs to be done. And in, in a lot of cases, we're just too busy, you know, in order to understand the you know, to spend the time to to try to understand the threat landscape and and get this, you know, perfectly right. If you just tell us what to do, we'll just go do it. Um, and and there's, you know, I mean, in healthcare, there's a long-standing history of that. Of, you know, you will put an environment of care in place, you know, standards of practice in place, and these are the rules that you will follow. Like CEOs get that. And so I think that there's there actually is uh uh folks that are gonna welcome that if there are funding, if there's a, a, an incentive to get them there. And I think that's really the, the crux of this. I, I personally do believe that, you know, we need to get more clear with this. We've been, we've been trying voluntary since HIPAA came out. Uh, the security rule came out in 2005. Uh, we're almost 20 years into it. And, you know, we haven't, we haven't been able to, to stop the, the flood of ransomware attacks that have hit our industry. It only, accelerates uh, year over year. And we do have hygiene. We do have all these clarity. We do have some uh, some additional carrots that have been released. You know, Hiccup, like I said, it's it's connected to the enforcement action now with OCR. If you've done it and you become a victim of one of these attacks, OCR is instructed to consider your adoption of Hiccup uh, during enforcement action. That has helped, but is it, has it helped to get, you know, the entire industry to move? You know, I, I I think there's more that's needed there. As long as we balance it right, and as long as the 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 controls, the the CPGs that we're applying are speci- are informed by the industry, are 
are specific to the threats that we're facing and there's dollars, you know, to help those that are in need, I think that this is absolutely the right path. So it's really interesting. Um, the position that you're in, and I, I, I can tell you want to get this right, right? This is really oh, yeah. important and you want to get it right. So for example, you know, meaningful use, mm-hmm. how that rolled out and went down. I was following that pretty closely at the time. And kind of looking back, there were kind of two big areas that they seemed to miss. One was kind of cybersecurity. Um, and the other one was interoperability. Um, they didn't kind of, they didn't really have a lot in there about that. And I think there would be some who would look back and go, yeah, we kind of missed, you know, we didn't get it perfect, which mm-hmm. happens, right? It's messy. Um, but I, I would imagine you're in a position of saying, I really want us to get this right. I don't want to be looking back five years from now and go, man, we, you know, so just tell me, is that your mindset? And yes. I assume that's, of course, your thoughts. yeah. I mean, now perfection is right. is nigh impossible to you know to to get right. And I look, I, I people when when they come out, people are going to look at it. They're going to beat it up. I'm sure somebody's going to question why why this and not that. You know, of course, all of that is going to happen. We live in this industry. What I'll tell you is this: it was informed by the landscape analysis. The landscape analysis took an adversarial mindset. How are we getting beat? We studied that. We looked at FBI data. We looked at CISA data, HC3 data, open source data from our uh, our, our cybersecurity vendors, um, and we compared that to the stated capabilities of our hospitals. So we we looked at the two major studies were the most the Chimes Most Wired survey and the AHA Class Sensinet survey. And those both of those studies, uh, you know, essentially looked at the journey that that organizations were on to the NIST CSF, the cybersecurity framework, um, to Hiccup. The AHA class Sensinet study looked specifically at Hiccup. And for those organizations that had the capability, so there's bias there, the capability to answer those questions, which is already, you mm-hmm. have to be this kind of high right. you know, on the, on the ride to do that. We got an understanding of where they are. And, and then we did this. We did this compare, like, how are we going to be? What do we say? We How, how do we say we're, we're being... Um, our, our level of resilience is in place. And then, you know, then we looked at it a different way. You know, the, the cyber working group came together and said, here are the practices that we think are important from four tranches of priority. Uh, and of course, HHS, CISA, National Security Council, they took all of this input. And then they came back to us again and, and asked us questions. What does this look right? Does that look right? No, yes, no, yes. You know, and we did this round and round and round kind of iteration until the the final result, I think, is is honestly, if you look at how the attacks are happening, there's three main ways that organizations are getting beat, that the initial compromise, I should say. It's social engineering, of course, no no surprise there. Uh, But let me give it a, a good example of that. Social engineering that includes uh, social engineering, your help desk. Mm. Uh, you know, calling up and saying, I need to add a second. I've lost my phone. I need to add another multi-factor device on my hand. And the help desk comes back and says, well, just give us the last four of your social and your date of birth. Oh, sure. I've got all of that because all of that has been breached time and time and time again. That's all on the dark web. I mean, that is a, that is a very bad identification verification process anymore. And so it's very easy to, to bypass it. And it's very easy. You don't even have to hack. You just, you hack the people essentially. Um, so that's one way. The other way is you've got a vulnerability that's on in your DMZ or on your network that's exposed directly to the internet. 
that gets hit because it's of high criticality. It's got remote code execution. And uh, CISA actually produces uh, a list of what's called known exploitable vulnerabilities or TEVs, more acronyms for you. <laughs> uh, and what they do is they look at, there's a lot of vulnerabilities that are out there. Again, a lot of noise. Um, and they have all kinds of intel that says which ones are being exploited right now by people. And so you all you have to do is marry the, the CISA list to your list and then do that, you know, do that like now, like not seven days from now, like literally right now you do that. <laughs> um, and then the third one is third parties getting hit that have connectivity back to you. So third party, you know, we, there's a lot in the third party space. They've got our data that can lead to privacy breaches. Yes. Um, the target breach 2013, 14, that was an HVAC vendor who got compromised. They had connectivity back into target, back channel connectivity, and then they rode that and then they got into the network and then conducted their attack. That's a very common attack path, uh, that, that network connectivity attack. Those are the three, 80% of the attacks that are out there start with one of those three. And then they all go to a privileged escalation attack. They go in and they, you know, they, they get your most sensitive credentials inside your organization. Um, could be Active Directory, could be, you know, any number of different things. And then they use that because once they have those master keys, essentially, they can then deploy ransomware or they can then steal data or they can then, um, you know, steal intellectual property or do whatever, you know, or, or persist for a long period of time and wait for something. I mean, like everything sort of stems from that. Mm -hmm. so, so an adversarial mindset means look at how that happens. Look at how 80% of the attacks are occurring and now apply what controls are the most important. So what are the things that you can get right up front to stop it from the beginning? And what are the things you can do right at the end, right before the bad happens? And you kind of sandwich it. That's the strategy. You know, when you think about um, CPGs, you think about essentials and enhanced and, um, and then just in general, risk analysis inside your organization and cyber of these days. Uh, <laughs> Also, I mean, informally, uh, you know, when I went and spoke to, I speak to some CISOs who have unfortunately had these attacks that have happened. I said, I've asked them, I, it's a small N here, but it's a hundred percent. I, you know, when I've, I've, I've done my own little informal study, I said, I don't want you to tell me what happened because I, I know it's already sensitive anyways. I said, but let me guess one of these three ways was how they got in and the privilege escalation was the last thing that they did before it all went bad. And to a T, all of them nodded their head. And so like that, that mean the, the bad guys, they, this is their playbook. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's, it's their playbook for healthcare. It's for transportation. It's for energy. It's for everybody. Um, our job is to disrupt that playbook. We need to make this expensive for them mm -hmm. to do this kind of attack. And, and that, and we're not going to stop them from conducting the attacks. There's always going to be crime. There's always going to be people who want to do this kind of stuff. But we need to make it so that they can't, I mean, they automate. They've got business models themselves. You know, they've got their own um, uh, efficiency, you know, targets that they're trying to hit and things like that. So the more that we make it difficult and put friction in place for those attacks to work, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, we're almost out of time, but um, the final final thought I was having is, you know, why? So why are we doing this? Well, there's been 
reports that come out, articles that uh, talk about the you know obvious and direct link between a cyber incident and patient safety. I mean, we just <laughs> to argue that you know to argue that these electronic systems make healthcare better, which they almost certainly do, and then set to say in the same sentence that the loss of them has no impact on patient care. That makes no sense, right? Mm-hmm. That logically doesn't work. So we know that cyber incidents can and often do impact patient care. We don't want to have them, right? That's why we're trying to prevent them. Right. The government is trying to put in minimum standards, just like seatbelts, because we see people are going to be hurt if this doesn't mm-hmm. happen. As you said, most of anyone involved in cyber of any size organization wants these things and would almost look at this as thank you for coming to help us. Mm-hmm. I don't have the resources and sometimes there's no will. But when you mandate it, I don't need to have the will. I can tell them this has to be done now. And oh, mm-hmm. by the way, we have money to do it. Um, the, so that's all good. That all makes sense. The the one sentiment, and we may have touched on this a little bit before, but the one concern was sort of don't make it too hard and yeah. don't punish the victim, right? Yeah. We never because that's a real interesting thing. And sometimes I think that's even overdone mm-hmm. to where we're so afraid of having any kind of penalties. Let's say someone continually clicks on phishing emails. Well, most CISOs, you know, the last thing they want to do is go down the punishment route. I get that. You're a victim. You were taken advantage of. It's healthcare. We all love each other. So, but that's the one concern on this that we hear. Don't punish the victim. Don't punish the victim. So I'm just going to leave you uh, as the, that's sort of the final question is, how do you balance all these things? We don't want to punish the victim, but at some point you have to have accountability. Yeah. I, look, I mean there's already a little bit of a line that's been drawn in the sand. HHS won't say this. Um, I kind of informally say it, or I guess I'm formally say it on an interview. Public law of 116.321 has already stated that if you have implemented NIST practices or, or efforts under 405D, promulgated under 405D, you are considered, you are doing what is considered a recognized cybersecurity practice and you will be incentivized you know, you will be you will be given consideration in in a, in a victim kind of situation. Um, there's a little bit of a line that's already been kind of drawn, you know, with that. So what does that mean if you haven't done them? I mean, now again, this is where HHS will not say, well, then you're going to immediately get penalized. They're not saying that, but you're on a upward slope that you have to start arguing. CPGs are adding more clarity to this, you know, and. And it's the essentials are essentials. Uh, and, and, and frankly, if you want cyber insurance now, there are, depending on who you're using, there are five controls that you absolutely have to have or you're not even going to get insured. And that's not the federal government. That's the industry applying that pressure. And so like it, it's kind of it's a it's a losing argument anymore to say that any attack against you is. Uh, it, it, you are not responsible for it. If you're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing, you're absolutely right that you are a victim in this case then, you know, and and you should not penalize the victim. I completely agree with that statement. If you haven't, if you've ignored it and you've grossly ignored it, I don't know. I mean, in this day and age, that'd be like walking outside in negative five degree weather and shorts and t-shirt and, and uh, getting upset that you got hypothermia, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it makes perfect sense. It yeah. makes perfect sense. And I think you're doing uh, uh, great work 
and you're spending a lot of your time uh, on this. So um, I guess I can thank you. And on the behalf of the industry, uh, (laughs) thank you for all the work you're putting in. And I'm sure you're doing your best uh, to shepherd all these competing sort of voices along and, and get to a happy place because the best thing about you doing it is you sit in the seat. Yeah. Um, now with meaningful use, not to open up all can of worms, just make a point and then we'll go, uh, with meaningful use, uh, with those committees they put together, there were a lot of people that didn't sit in the seat mm-hmm. that had to deal with that stuff. One of them who did, and was a voice of reason a lot was Mark Probst from yep. your organization. I used yep. to listen to all these meetings and sometimes Mark would be yep. like, Hey, hold on. <laughs> <'Cause he's sitting laughs> there going, I got to do this stuff and this doesn't make any sense. Yep. God bless Mark. I hope he's yep. doing well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> All right, Eric. Well, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Anthony.